Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. Don Helbig alongside Ryan Sir, episode number 16. And Ryan, as we get into this episode, I think it's going to be uh, one that's going to be of interest of all of our uh, listeners for this one. Uh, but most parks, you know, they have some sort of system to help guests bypass the line programs developed to limit those wait times. It goes back to 1999 when Disney first introduced as a complimentary uh, kind of extra the, the uh, like fast pass, uh, fast lane, uh, whatever you want to call it, that allows guests to uh, skip the line and uh, just, you know, really allows them to make the most of their day. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been curious about this because it seems like, um, you know, the, the idea behind it is very sound. Um, and clearly, like a lot of parks see the value and a lot of guests see the value. Uh, but I'm going to have a lot of questions for you because you've been around for the impl- implementation of one of these programs. So it's going to be interesting to hear uh, when you think that parks should do it, like how busy do they have to be to justify it, um, as well as pricing structure and everything else. So, Don, let's start off from the beginning. How busy does a park have to be in order to uh, to have something like this? Well, you know, I don't know that it necessarily means how busy because, you know, sometimes you can have, uh, you know, big crowds at a park, but they also have, you know, 18, 25, you know, kind of major attractions to kind of spread out those uh, guests throughout the park. So I don't know that it necessarily has to, to do with that. I think you'd want to look at it more as, you know, for those marquee attractions, whether it's, you know, five, whether it's 15, whether it's 20 that you have that everybody definitely wants to ride where they're there. I think you look at it that way. But I, I think, you know, when you have throughout most of the week or, uh, you know, the, those core dates Thursday through Sunday and that maybe where uh, the wait time for these attractions are going to be, you know, 35, 40, you know, an hour or longer. I think that's a time that you'd want to look into doing something like that. So uh, guests really could find a way to to make sure if they're coming, especially from outside of the market, a chance to uh, to experience everything that a park has to offer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, and it's funny because there's always going to be pushback, you know, there's always going to be somebody that says, you know, you know, why, why are we teaching kids nowadays that if you have more money, you can, you can skip the line. And I think that the answer to that question is because if you have more money, you can skip the line. If you spend more money at a baseball game, you can sit closer if you spend more money on an airplane, you get the bigger seats. I mean, like, I, I think it's as simple as that, don't you? It is exactly that. Uh, you, you know, I think, you know, we live in a world of there's the haves and the have-nots. I mean, that's just, just, just the way it is. You talked about the airlines. You know, there's first class, third class, you know, coach, all those different types of, of, of ways to travel. Uh, you go to a sporting event. Uh, you know, nowadays, the, the, you know, the hardcore sports fan that used to be able to sit down by the dugouts, uh, you know, a lot of them, they've been priced out. Uh, that's not where they sit. You know, they're now on the upper decks, uh, you know, whether it's baseball games or you go to NBA, NHL games, uh, you know, it, it's just become, you know, whether there's, there's luxury suites, club seats, uh, you know, all those different things that are out there now that, uh, you know, didn't exist in the 70s, 80s, you know, 90s that, uh, you know, it, it's kind of changed. People, you know, uh, they want those premium experiences. And, uh, you know, whether that's sports, whether that's theme parks, whether that's travel, uh, you know, that's just what, uh, you know, a lot of people want these days. Well, here's a question for you that might actually go beyond the fast lane thing. And I know I'm getting off track faster than usual here, but, um, do you think that, uh, the fact that experiences have outpaced inflation as far as costs from like, you know, the mid eighties to today are because people are looking for an experience rather than just attending a, a, a baseball game, just attending a, you know, an amusement park and so on. Like, do you think that the, the appetite has changed and why do you think that's happened if it does? Well, I think it has changed. You know, it, it is about, uh, you know, those unique experiences or being able to make the most, uh, of, of what you're going to do, whether it's a park or it is a sporting event. Uh, you know, if you're going to go to, uh, you know, a sporting event, you have that opportunity and you have the, you know, the financial means to be able to, to get in those club seats where, you know, you're, you're able to have, uh, you know, food brought to your seats, all those kind of things. Uh, you know, you're going to be more inclined to want to do that nowadays. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. And, you know, and as you, it, one thing that I noticed, like going into my adult life from, you know, being a teenager where I had just enough money for gas to having enough money to have things is that, um, you start, thinking of it in the scale of like, 
yeah, I'll drop the extra $50 to sit closer. Yeah, I'll drop the extra $100 for the VIP area, stuff like that. You know, obviously, like, I don't have a family and stuff, so my priorities would be a little bit different if I did. But um, I think that as the offering, as people have had the opportunity to spend more money, uh, the temptation's been there. I mean, let's talk about um, just uh, just uh, concerts at, at the Timberwolf Theater at Kings Island alone. You know, they introduced the the concert series. They they had concerts for you know a couple decades, then they didn't for a long time. Brought them back as you know potentially one off. Hopefully, it continues. Um, but now they built a VIP area. You know, and it's uh, you can sit in about the fifteenth row for a pretty reasonable amount of money, forty five dollars. But you know, just for ten dollars more, you can sit just a little bit closer and have access to the VIP area. But in addition to that, for just ten dollars more than that, you can uh, sit even closer and sit in the VIP area and have access to the side of the stage. And you know what? I went to ha- they had eight concerts, I believe. I went to half of them. One of which I got a free ticket that was like you know behind the scaffolding or something. But all the other three shows that I went to, I paid for. Okay, and uh, two of those three, I bought either VIP or the Ultimate VIP. And that's for bands that I didn't particularly listen to just because like, you know what, if I'm going to go there, I want to make it an experience. So yeah, I'll drop the extra few dollars, you know, and I think the same translates to, you know, if I'm going to buy a hundred and hundred dollar ticket to an amusement park or whatever, what what's a hundred dollars more, $150 to skip the lines, you know, now there are some parks where it's a necessity, you know, some parks, you know, I'm not going to name any names cause I don't want to, you know say this is a negative connotation, but there's some where it's like, yeah, if you're going to go, you have to have the fast pass, you know? And, and well, it depends on what you're there to do. Right. And let's say you're there to get in, um, you know, a lot of rides. Yeah. You're going to want to do that. If it's a park that, uh, you know, for the most part, let's, let's talk about, uh, you know, who this guest is. It's not going to be, you know, if it's, um, you know, a place you visit 20, 30 times a year, you're not going to be as inclined to, uh, to take advantage of those kind of things because you're there all the time. Um, but if you're going somewhere else, you know, Disney, Universal, you know, something like that, uh, there's certain things that you want to make sure you get to do uh, that day. You might only be there for five or six hours, uh, whatever it might be. So to make the most of that visit, uh, you certainly want to take advantage of these opportunities that are out there with these, uh, you know, fast passes and, uh, you know, any kind of a skip the line type of opportunity that might be available for you. There's VIP tours, too. I mean, that's another way to to experience a park. So, uh, yeah, you certainly want to look at that, especially if it's a place that you might only get to, you know, once a year, if that, yeah, you know, what's funny is, um, I've got a friend who's a merchandise manager at a park and I was talking to him about, you know, the fast pass. when we're saying fast pass, by the way, we're not particularly talking about Disney. We're using that lowercase F lowercase P. Um, but you know, I was like, you know, I guess, uh, you sell a ton of them in the morning and then it just tapers off. And he's like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. You sell a bunch of them in the morning. You sell a few throughout the day when people realize it's busy, and then you sell a bunch about two hours before the place closes. Well, before the place closes, you don't get your value. It's like, yes, but if somebody's like coming through town and, you know, they only get two hours, they want to do everything, that's the only way to do it. You'd be like, you you know, it's not a ton, ton that you sell, but you'd be surprised how many you sell in the last couple hours, you know? Yeah, and it certainly changes the way that, uh, you know, you're going to, to plan your visit to a lot of parks. That's one of the first things that I look for, you know, when I'm going online, I'm going to go to a park. I want to see, do they have that experience available for me? You know, can I get a like fast pass? Again, we're using that word, not necessarily referring to Disney, but um, you know, I'm looking for that. Is that there? Is that something I can do? You know, is there all day dining? Those kind of things that, uh, you know, you just want to do to really, I want to make the most of my experience. I want to make sure I don't miss out on anything. And the best way for me to do that is to get these, uh, um, these additional uh, perks that are out there that, that you can, you can buy to enhance your experience. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I want to use a, a, like a personal anecdote. Um, I usually make about two trips down to Dollywood per year, you know, two, three day trips. And we always pick one to be um, the day when we use the time saver, yeah, their version of the fast pass, you know? So it was like, you know, you have one day where it's kind of like, well, the first day we're there, We'll just enjoy the park. We'll ride all the lines that are short. We'll eat at Aunt Granny's or whatever. The second day, we're, we're going to do, 
you know, we're going to get the fast pass that day and we're going to ride all the rides a million times. And then the third day, it's like, well, we'll, we'll see the shows we wanted to see or whatever. So I think that's kind of a cool uh, dynamic involved that it gives us that kind of flexibility, you know. Plus, we can schedule the three days whenever we want if we do it that way. It can be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday if we need it to be. You know, do you agree? I agree. And it's, uh, you know, and if you really become, you know, uh, an expert at, uh, you know, planning your visit to these different parks, ways to navigate it, I mean, you can really maximize your time and you use the word time saver there uh, and really make the most out, out of your visit to a park uh, when you know how to use those programs effectively. Yeah. And, and I, I, again, like I, I definitely uh, see the value. Now, here's a here's the interesting thing for you. Um, when you have a fast pass system, you know, you can take the, the current price and have dynamic pricing. So it's like, okay, a Saturday in July, we're going to be really busy. We can make it 50% more or whatever, because you can gauge the market. When you initially launch these programs, how do you decide what to charge for it? Because if you make it too cheap, everyone will buy it. And then nobody has the fast pass. If you make it too expensive, nobody buys it and your program just failed. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the demand uh, determines your pricing. You know, um, if the demand's there, I don't know that, uh, you know, what that what that top end price, you know, it, it can be. I think that's where you determine what it's going to be, just what is the the demand. And, you know, based on the percentage, I think that's another way you look at it is, um, you know, you don't want it to be where everybody, you know, is going to be able to get it because then the, the, those lanes become longer than the, right. the standby lines. So. Uh, you want to make sure that you maintain that balance that maybe it's, you know, you maybe you're running like, you know, 15, 20% or something on a, on a marquee attraction is going to be those, those guests. And then the rest are going to be the standby line and you have to do a nice blend. You know, you can't, um, you know, if you, if you pay the money for this, uh, this program, uh, you know, you don't want to be waiting 45 minutes to get right on a ride. Uh, and, and watch just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of the standby line going in front of you, you know, so you have to find a way to, to balance that out as well, too. So it's a good experience uh, for both. Worlds. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, and on the flip side, you also don't want to make it so um, the people in the standby line are waiting two hours for an hour wait too. you know, it comes down to that balance. You're no, talking no, about not there. at all. Yeah, so you have to do that. So like if you have a train, let's say the capacity is 40. You know, you probably want to go 30, you know, 30 of the riders would be the standby line. And then, you know, 10 of the riders would be the uh, the fast pass line. That's kind of a good way to do it. You know, that uh, uh, 80, 20, 75, 25, you know, kind of kind of divide there is the best way to, to do that. So, uh, you know, both guests, you know, the, the guests that are bought these premium experiences and the, the standby line guests uh, that they're, they're both. Uh, you know, having a good experience. You know, when, when the, um, when this started becoming a thing, uh, amongst the seasonal chains, um, I noticed that there were a lot of people, uh, you know, just listening to people on the midways and stuff as I have a tendency to do. Um, they were, you know, a lot of people were like, I can't believe that they're doing this, blah, 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 you know, and, and this isn't necessarily any one park. This is just an observation from that whole time period, circa 2010 or so when, you know, they launched maybe a few years before that. Um, but I feel like now it's pretty well accepted into, uh, you know, what's going on. Um, do you feel like, uh, I mean, when the, when the initial plans roll out, do you, do you, would you anticipate, uh, like a little bit of a backlash with, you know, your guest relations or anything like that, just because it's new and people don't know exactly how it works? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, you know, people are uh, creatures of habit, you know, they're used to things being a certain way. They don't like change. And, uh, you know, so anytime there's change, there's going to be a little bit of, um, you know, I guess uproar from, from some people that aren't going to be happy with that type of a change. Uh, you know, you go back to the days when, you know, you didn't have drive-through at uh, restaurants and now you have drive-through when that first came about, you know, there were people coming into the restaurant upset that the drive-through people were, you know, getting taken care of and all that. So, I mean, it was anytime there's a change, no matter what it is, what industry it is, uh, there's going to be a little bit of a transition period for that. But then as time goes on. Uh, you know, everybody gets used to it and it's, it just goes, you know, it's just, uh, you know, normal operation every day. Then after that, do you think that, you know, there, there are a lot of parks out there that either don't drive a lot of attendance on an annual basis or their main focus isn't rides like, a, you know, it's a show park, it's a food park, whatever. 
Um, do you think for those parks it's worth exploring or do you think that the sales would be kind of low when people realize like, oh, there's probably not going to be a wait? Like, do you, do you think there's always a case for it or, or what? I think there can always be a case for it. I mean, if you're primarily going to be, say, a show park, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to uh, get into the theater early, you know, that, that type of thing or priority seating if you have that. Those, uh, those are different ways to do it. But I, I think there's always an opportunity. I think the one thing you have to look at if, uh, you know, when this first gets implemented at a lot of places and this happened pretty much everywhere is uh, those older rides, you know, they weren't equipped for this. So it was, it was finding a way to, um, you know, get the, 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 the fast lane, fast pass, um, you know, uh, time saver guests onto rides, you know, so it started out, you know, they were coming up the exit and then that's an issue because you got guests leaving, you got new ones, you know, these coming in and how do you determine that? Uh, so now, you know, over the last, you know, eight to 10 years, when you see new attractions being built, uh, they're all being built with these, uh, uh, Line, with the queue lines uh, to having an entrance for these experiences. Yeah. And what's funny, you know, bringing back to your point that you made originally about, um, you know, what people are looking for nowadays, you know, it, it, I listen to all of the um, like quarterly conference calls for all the major chains. And it seems like there's always a mention of, you know, we had a very successful quarter because of, you know, the premium experiences and stuff. And people are doubling down on it nowadays, you know, whether it's the VIP tours or it's, the fast stuff or it's the food plans or, or whatever, um, you know, moving forward into the future, do you feel like premium experiences are, are, are going to be like a staple in the theme park industry? I think they're going to be a staple. And I think you're going to see more of those different opportunities develop. You know, you're going to have continue to have your fast lanes, but you're going to have your VIP experiences with the, the tours, the lounges, uh, the dining experiences, all those different kind of things. You know, there's always going to be looking for what's next, uh, just like with the attractions. You know, you're always looking for what's that next big thrill ride. Well, what's the next uh, type of premium experience that uh, can be provided for guests? Do you think that there are many like marketing opportunities uh, that drive attendance for these things? Like, do you think that having a fast pass can sell tickets as well, or do you think that if if it's offered, it's irrelevant to the, like, it might be an up, up, like a augmentation of a ticket, but it's not going to be something that actually sells a ticket. Do you, or, or do you think it might, do you, do you understand my question? <laughs> well, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, I mean, it's not a, you know, huge, huge, um, you know, driver. It's not going to take you from say, uh, a 10,000 day to a 20,000 day, anything like that. But, I think what it can do is if, you know, somebody lives in Texas and they're looking at going to a, a park in, say, Georgia, you know, and that opportunity's there, you might be more inclined to do it on a Saturday than you would have, you know, if, if uh, you only have so much time, you know, you might have thought, well, you know, we're not going to be able to get on everything. Let's go look for something else and do well now that may change that that's way that decision because now you can do everything. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that as well, you know, where it's, it's probably not really selling tickets necessarily, but it's definitely taking care of a deterrent. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah, exactly. It's a, uh, it, it's, it's a difference maker sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, so, you, you know, you mentioned Disney did it first, uh, you know, of, of all the types of um, fast passes, you know, Disney has the most complex one where sometimes you upcharge per ride. You know, um, you know, they got the Genie Plus program and, and, and that's been very controversial. Um, but again, premium experience, you never know what you're going to get. Um, and then you've got on the other end of the spectrum where you get a wristband or a lanyard or something and you get to skip to the front of the line for everything. And then there's Kennywood. Kennywood put it in the middle. If you pay a certain amount of money, you can skip the line. If you pay a little bit less, you can skip half the line. If you pay a little bit less than that, they can hold your place in line. What are your thoughts on the three different tiers? I think the important thing is you have to be able to communicate all those different uh, experiences. You know, you have to be able to make sure that everyone who's looking at those, uh, they clearly understand what that means. I think that's the toughest challenge there. But if you can do that, uh, you know, then it's going to work for you. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And you know what? Um, to me, I think that uh, the biggest miss in the industry um, as far as, um, you know, a program like this, a program in this vein is the really the their third tier that will hold your place in line. 
Because honestly, if I was going to ride, you know, the te- new Texas giant, there's an hour and a half wait, you know, if I could pay 10 bucks to just come back in an hour and a half, I would, you know, I mean, if I lived by there, I, you know, obviously that's different, but if it's my one visit and I can go ride a couple flats, shop, eat, whatever, I, I would totally do that. And I think that a lot of people haven't explored that, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Has that ever come across your desk or anything? Um, not that I've, you know, heard with that, but it is an interesting concept. And again, it's, you know, like you said, if you were going to go there and that's an opportunity for you, it's going to allow you to do some of those other things while you're there that uh, you otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. And it's, um, it's one of those things where like the flip side of the coin and anytime I bring this up to people where with the, you know, a ride reservation system, whether it's free or it costs money or whatever, they always say like, okay, we'll just imagine this your favorite ride at the park is sold out within five minutes of the park opening, which is also like something that would need to be controlled too, you know? Yeah. That's the other thing you can't, uh, you don't want a ride to be sold out for a day. You know, you want it to be, you know, still that, uh, opportunity for the, uh, the guest who just purchased the ticket or just has a season pass. You want to make sure they don't get shut out. Yeah. Do you think that, um, there's a future in that or do you think that we'll always be queuing up? I think there's always going to, to me, I mean, I don't know. I, I would think that, you know, there's a lot of things that I didn't think 20, 30 years ago we'd have today, but um, I, I think that there's still going to be the the queuing up. You know, I, I think there's, uh, there's still going to be that for you. There's not, it's like I said, these experiences aren't going to be for everybody. Uh, so you still have to be able to keep it traditional, you know, for a certain percentage of your guests. You know, I, I agree with the queuing up thing to an extent. All right. And let me clarify where I think it's going to be. I think that people, uh, in today's age of the internet and all the other things, millennials, everything else you want to blame, you know, I think that people do not have the patience to wait two hours anymore. And I think it's getting worse and worse as the days go by. I think that there's going to be two options for cues. And I'm, I'm talking 10, 15 years in the future, either one, there's a reservation system because I don't think anyone would mind coming back in two hours because people do it for restaurants and stuff. And at that point they're hangry. So they're really mad. Um, and the two is having the queue as part of the experience, a la universal Disney and so on where going through the queue. Is, I mean, look at uh, like the Jimmy Fallon ride at universal. The queue is 90% of that ride. Yeah. And I mean that in a positive way, the queue is awesome. But I think that that's, that's entirely possible where they keep you entertained the entire time. And it's absolutely critical that you go through the queue to understand what's going on in the ride and have the full experience. Um, but for typical rides, you know, anything more than a 15 minute wait, it's probably take a time, come back, especially with technologies improving. I mean, think of it this way. When you were riding the racer in the eighties, uh, when I was just a little baby, um, could you ever imagine that you'd be carrying a, po- a computer in your pocket that can communicate with satellites from outer space? You know, absolutely yeah, yeah. Not. So absolutely not. You you never thought of that. Uh, the only thing you had on you, you know, was your wallet and your keys. You know, that's the only thing you had, and you weren't even thinking about anything else about, you know, except for where you were. You know, you weren't, uh, uh, you know, texting friends or, um, you know, just reading the internet or any of those other kind of things. You weren't taking yourself outside of the environment. Uh, exactly. Then. And then furthermore, let, let's zip ahead to 2000, 2002, around then people started having cell phones. I would never bring a phone into Kings Island or Cedar point or, or wherever, because you could lose it. You know, you're riding rides. Now let's zip ahead to 2007 or so. Everybody's got their phone. And that's when we got the loose article stuff and the pouches and so on. Now zip ahead to 2022. Now, if you don't have the, the park app, you're missing out. It's a critical part of the experience. So with that being said, you know, you know, for two parts of this, first of all, you know, you got to dis- suspend disbelief when it comes to like, I don't think there could ever be, you know, anything to replace lines or whatever, because who knows, you know, and secondly, technology is moving so quickly that I think that it's going to be easier and easier to accommodate it as the decades go on. I mean, don't you think so? Yeah, I think what you want to, yeah, I think so. I think what you, you know, what we're heading toward, Ryan, you know, you talk about the, the queue lines and I, I think it's going to become important that it becomes part of the experience in some way. So you are keeping uh, guests in the moment, you know, in, in your world, the park world, 
uh, instead of, uh, you know, elsewhere. And I, I think that'll be important, uh, you know, moving forward is to, to try to do it that way. Yeah. I, and do you think that, um, not the throwback to episode two, but do you think that the Parks mobile app will kind of play a part in that? I mean, for a lot of this stuff, if you want like an early beta version, just look at Disney because you can use their MDX yeah. app to, um, you know, to interact with characters and stuff at Galaxy's Edge. So I don't see why they couldn't implement yeah, that. I think, I think they, yeah, I think apps will become, you know, they're already very important, but I think they'll become an even more important, uh, you, you know, piece of the, the theme park experience moving forward. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we've been through this before, so I don't want to go on a long tangent about it. But, you know, when we talk about premium experiences and stuff, and particularly with the fast lane stuff, because again, I really believe that ride reservation is going to be what you're going to see in 10 or 15, 20 years, you know, um, but I, I think that the app is going to be the core of that or whatever replaces a phone. You know, they're saying, you know, yeah. watches and implants and stuff, whatever. You know, I'm not going to get into the science fiction. Yeah, well, well, let me ask you this yeah. now, Ryan. You know, we've talked about the different experiences that are available mm -hmm. out there. Uh, you know, you've you've done it both ways. You've uh, visited parks, uh, you know, the, the traditional right. way. And then you've had that opportunity to go, you know, whether it's... Uh, you know, your home park or somewhere else where you've had that opportunity to try these VIP experiences. And it certainly changes the way uh, that, that you experience a park. But, uh, you know, now that you've you've had a taste of that world, uh, you know, is that something now that, uh, you know, how important is it to you that that is available? for? Uh, you? It's pretty important. Uh, I would say, I mean, not necessarily a VIP tent and tours and stuff like that, um, but definitely, you know, talking about the fast lane stuff, the fast pass stuff. Um, what, there's a park that's local to me. That's a couple hours away that doesn't have it. And I think that that's actually been a deterrent to me. And that's what I had in mind when I asked that question, because, you know, I work a nine to fiver. So on Saturdays and Sundays, I know that they're, they're only busy days. And it's like, ah, do I really want to drive down there? If it's going to be busy or whatever, if I went on like a Wednesday, I could walk on anything, but if they had that option, especially a reasonable price, I definitely would have made a trip, you know? But um, uh, uh, beside that, you know, I, I mentioned the Dollywood thing. That's more of a luxury. I'd still go without it, um, mainly because it's kind of an outlier for them to have lines that are unmanageable. And um, I, I think you know the park well enough uh, to know that you can time, you know, you can catch Mystery Mine at the end of the day and have a short line or whatever. But not having to manage that and just like, yeah, let's just ride this. That's awesome. I mean, I think that really enhances the experience. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Um, so, w w like, I, I know that most places at least claim to have a cutoff for the amount of fast passes they sell. What are your thoughts on that? Like, where would you put it if it was your decision? There is a cutoff. I I, I can tell yeah. you that, that, uh, you know, in a lot of different chains, there is that point. Um, you know, it's still all about the experience. You have to provide a great experience or you know, if it's just about the revenue that catches up to you, no matter, you know, what chain you are. So I, I think there is that, uh, um, that period, it's, it's a certain percentage of, uh, you know, your attendance that day determines what that number is going to be. And, uh, you know, what rides, uh, you know, are going to be available if there's a time during the year where, you know, the water park's part of your, your park experience, you know, part of your admission, um, you know, that spreads out the park a little bit more. So, uh, you know, maybe that number is going to be different in uh, the spring or in the fall than it's going to be in the summer months just because of the way the guests, uh, you know, get dispersed in that. So there's a lot of things that go into a lot of people that, uh, you know, much smarter than I am that, uh, you know, that figure that, uh, you know, that formula out what that's going to be, uh, you know, throughout the industry. But, uh, you know, there certainly is that magic number that, uh, you know, you have to have that balance. You know, not everyone's going to be your your uh, premium experience guest. And, that's always kept in mind. Okay. So you mentioned that there's, there's a formula to it in terms of, you know, you, a lot of parks have it. So the water parks involved and, you know, sometimes there are water rides involved, which would disperse the crowds and stuff. Um, but as a percentage, uh, like if you were the GM of a park and had complete creative control, if you were going to say for a percentage of the population of the park, we'll sell this many fast lanes, what percentage would you make it? Not necessarily what's been in your experience, but like from a guest standpoint and from what you know about operations and stuff, where would you put that number? Just for anybody that's thinking about doing this sort of thing. You know, I, I think to me, it's it's kind of that, 
you know, 80, 20, 75, 20% type of rule that you have to where um, that, that's kind of your, a nice cutoff, you know, 20, 25% of your guests, you know, can have that experience and, uh, you know, you kind of top it off there. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And because you get more than you get more than that. And then your VIP experience isn't as good. So you have to keep that in mind too. I mean, there's a reason you call it VIP because not everybody has. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, and then you, you mentioned, um, earlier that, you know, if you were to pilot, the program would be based on demand. Do you, do you see that? Like, would you survey guests and say like, what would you pay to skip the lines here? Like, is that the easiest way to do it? Or, I mean, what are your thoughts? I, Cause I imagine that if you have a, a baseline where you know that on Tuesday it's $50. So Saturday it should be 75. That's a lot easier than knowing, okay, we're going to start this program on Tuesday and it's going to be $50. You know, that, that's, that would be the hardest part for me if I was going to implement this program. Where do you set the price? Yeah, I think you just, you, you well, you just started off to just see what's going to, you know, what's, what you think. You just have to come up with that number yourself, what arbitrarily you think it's going to um, work at. And you're going to find out quickly if you picked right or you picked wrong. If you picked, uh, you know, wrong on two counts, you know, wrong that too many people did it uh, or wanted to do it and you sold out quickly with it, uh, you know, then your price, there's demands there. You want to go higher. If uh, nobody's buying it, you're too high. So you have to do it that way. It's trial and error. You're going to find out uh, and you're going to need enough time. You're not going to find it in two or three weeks. I mean, you need enough time to, to really be able to analyze those numbers and, and know where that sweet spot is. Now, one thing I've noticed is that there are perks out there that either offer a discount or exclusively sell the fast pass in advance. Uh, so you can't buy a day of, or if you do, it's a little bit more expensive. What are your thoughts on that kind of thing? I think that's a good way to go. Uh, to, you want to try to get those advanced sales as, as quickly as you can. Uh, it's, it's a way to, you know, just kind of better forecast what your day is going to be when you, you can look and you can think, you know, two weeks down the line, you know, here's what we're already at. So I, I think it just helps with your forecasting to be able to know as far in advance as possible, you know, what that looks like. Awesome. Well, Don, do you have any uh, final thought about the, any kind of fast pass system? Any words of wisdom? I think, you know, the biggest thing you have to look at if you're, you know, if you're a park and you haven't done that yet is, uh, you know, with your attractions, how are you going to manage that? Uh, you know, how you, it comes, you know, train your staff, you know, how, how are you going to get the, the, uh, the, the fast, we're going to keep using that word fast pass, but those fast pass guests, how are you going to get them, you know, onto the ride, you know, how are you going to merge them in with the, the, the regular, uh, the regular line. So I, I think that's part of it where, a lot of those existing rides, they're not built for that. So you're going to have to really think about that and, uh, you know, it'd be better to have that system in place, you know, do it during the off season and kind of revamp, uh, you know, the queue line. So you have those two different entrances, the main standby entry and the, the fast uh, pass entry. It's not something you really want to try to implement in the middle of the summer uh, because your park's just not really going to be ready for that at that time to, to do it. Yeah. That's one of the things that people don't think about, you know, obviously register systems and figuring out how to mark the people that are going to be skipping the lines uh, is part of it, but there's a lot of infrastructure involved too, you know, so you got to factor that. A lot of infrastructure. That's yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. And uh, you just have to, to spend a lot of time, you know, figuring that out and just reconfiguring your queue lines and, uh, you know, and then training your staff, you know, to, to be able to handle that's extra staffing that you're going to need to, to manage that. Function. Right. But once you do, you know, very once little you do, overhead, it's, it's a you great, know, I'm, right. Exactly. And it becomes a good thing. And it's, uh, you know, just really, uh, you know, allows, you know, like anything else, like we talked about the travel industry, the, the sports industry, everything else it allows, uh, you know, that, uh, that segment of, of people looking for those premium experiences to be able to do that at your point. Awesome. Well, Don, before we start with the next segment, let's remind our listeners to follow us at attractions underscore GRP. We already picked one winner for, you know, some random Don stuff who has not reached out to us. So I guess we'll have to reach out to them. We're not going to say their name. Um, follow us on your favorite podcast apps as well as on YouTube uh, by searching for the attractions group podcast. Uh, we appreciate everybody that followed us. Uh, we gained a lot of subscribers and we're going to try to be a little bit more YouTube friendly moving forward because it's more fun for you to see us. We assume. <laughs> okay. So Don, it's time for the pick six. So this is a segment for those of you who haven't listened before where Don and I pick six stories or 
you know, information patents from the uh, amusement park industry that we want to discuss, that we find interesting, that we find relevant. So we've got a really cool one for you today. Um, so let's go with a story numero uno. And this is coming from our friends over at Intamin from Switzerland. They actually just debuted a vertical launch. So it's their LSM system. And I'm going to try to not speak out of line because I am not an electrical engineer. But it's vertical. So it'll launch up the hill. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can you know watch the video right now. Um, but uh, they're advertising that... You know, when you hit the top hat and stuff, it'll um, actually give you a pop of air time and stuff. Don, I didn't know that, you know, a vertical launch was possible. I just assumed that the physics models weren't there, and that's why. Uh, that's why it never happens. What are your thoughts on this? It's a very interesting, unique, and thrilling concept. Uh, I, I think there's uh, there's a lot of potential there. You know, with this, I, I like you said, I, I, I didn't think it was, um, you know, possible for a vertical launch. I wouldn't have thought about that, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but today, a lot more is possible. But uh, it's really intriguing, uh, really interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. I've always been fascinating, fascinated by launches, by like the physics behind them. Um, and that's why I think this is particularly cool. But the real question I have to pose, and maybe we'll ask the Intamin guys this at IAPA in a couple weeks. But theoretically speaking... There's no real limit to how high you can go because this train appears to start right around zero. So it's not like it needs momentum and then it can make up to 150 feet. So theoretically, it can tow a train up a hill, you know, as far as they're willing to build, I think. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it looks like you could. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's only so high that you, you know, you can probably build these anyway, just when you start to think about cranes and things it would take to, to build right. something like that. But, um, but no, I, I think, you know, I'm just sitting there in my head right now, just uh, just imagining, you know, the, the the thrill of that. You know, you, you've had these, you know, launches where you're, you know, you're straight ahead and you're going from zero to 55 to 80 to 100 real quick, uh, you know, within four or five seconds there. But to go straight up, I mean, that's certainly a game changer there with that in terms of uh, the, the type of thrill that it's going to deliver. I completely agree. And then if you look at rides like uh, Rip Ride Rocket at Universal and Mystery Mine at Disney and... Um, what's another good one? Um, the dive coaster at Knott's Berry Farm. Help me out here. Uh, hang 10. Um, hang time. Hang time. Sorry. Anyway, uh, so, um, you know, the lift tail is almost part of the attraction because people aren't used to being towed up vertically. So to be launched, just imagine the theming and stuff you could do. I think it's that it's just absolutely incredible. So hats off to Intamin. Um, they're going to be talking about this quite a bit and have a display for it at IAPA. Apparently, this is a teaser video for what they're going to be unveiling uh, a couple weeks in Orlando. So story number two, Don. Can't wait to see that. Oh, I know. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it while we're down there. But uh, story number two, and I'm excited about this, Ryan, and it is the return of Fantasmic at Walt Disney World. It's going to start back in November, but these billboards are popping up. Uh, around the Orlando area, and uh, you know it's great to see. And uh, we talked about this on on previous podcasts about this show. If you haven't seen it, it is incredible. Uh, it's something that if you see it once, you're going to want to see it again. It's it's memorable. You know, I still remember uh, the first time I saw just how blown away I was by it. Uh, but it's great to see it coming back. But I also love uh, when when live shows become like a, a marquee attractions. At, at parks. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because, um, you know, while obviously while we're down on um, down in Orlando, um, you know, we're going to be visiting a couple parks. My girlfriend's going to be with us. And she was like, I really want to go to Disney. And I was like, well, first of all, we don't have time. Second of all, I don't want to go down there until Fantasmic's back. So uh, Fantasmic returns November 3rd, 2022. So it looks like uh, I lose that bet. We're still not going to Disney, but um, for me, it's like, why would you go to Hollywood studios without Fantasmic? You know, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff there there. It's great. But if you want the capstone, the really true, like, wow thing that Disney does, Fantasmic is such a perfect example of that. If that was the only thing you did mm -hmm. on a trip to Disney world, it would be just so worth the time. That, that's just my opinion of it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, there, and how, how often can you say that about a nightly show? I would say that, um, Maybe uh, like Illuminations at Epcot was kind of like that too, where it was so elaborate and moving and stuff that if you just went to Epcot, you only had three hours and you could walk 
you know, by the time you parked, you walked in, you got to your spot around the World Showcase Lagoon, you can watch Illuminations in a good spot. That would be worth the price of admission. Uh, Fantasmic is definitely sits on the same shelf as, as that show. So, so excited about that. I'm going to try to make it down there in the early spring, um, you know, in their quote unquote dead season, even though they don't have one anymore. Um, and because uh, I, gosh, I really want to see Fantasmic. All right. So let's go with story number three. Oh, gosh, it's the racer. So anyway, uh, you know, uh, it looks like on uh, kingsislandgear.com, you can buy a piece of the racer's wood along with the nano coaster that represents the racer, which is really, really cool. Um, it seems like there's been a lot of opportunities for people to buy pieces of rides nowadays. Uh, I mean, I mean, Kings Island alone is this is the racer. It started with Son of Beast, to my knowledge. I don't think they ever did it before that with, you know, track pieces, Son of Beast. Pieces of Vortex, pieces of Firehawk, pieces of Wicked Twister up at Cedar Point. Um, is this a thing now? You know, I think so. I mean, there's always been strong interest from the enthusiast community, uh, you know, for, for ride parts, you know, especially when an attraction's been retired. Uh, you know, I think it was the last episode that we talked about. I mentioned the, uh, you know, Idora Park was, uh, you know, a, a defunct park that, uh, uh, you know, was was one of my, um, you know, favorite places. I wish I could go back to, but the Idora Wildcat, you know, had they made a part of that ride, you know, a piece of wood or wheels or something like that from that ride available, you know, I certainly would have been interested back then just because of the memories I had uh, of going there. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's great for those that are, um, you know, big fans of, of certain parks and rides uh, to be able to, to have a piece of that history, especially when a ride does have the kind of history that a ride like the racer at Kings Island has. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's impressive. You can sell scrap wood and scrap metal for so much, but you know, when it comes down to it, a diamond is a rock. It's like, you just bought a $2,000 rock. It's like, you know, I bought a $2,000 diamond, you know? So the meaning behind it actually has the value. This is going for $149.99 uh, again on kingsislandgear.com. Um, the, the different ride pieces, I believe, but Vortex, Firehawk, Wicked Twister all went for $200 with a uh, certificate of authenticity and some other, um, prominence with it. Um, do you remember how much was the son of beast one $200 or was it a hundred? I don't remember. Uh, I, I don't recall. I think either. there was only a hundred you know, of them right though. around that. Cause there it was like a hundred, 150 pieces yeah. of that. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, it's, um, I would definitely be the type that would buy something, especially for a defunct ride, you know, um, I, I had the wrong, but I mean, but think about this now, this piece of wood here that we're, we're looking at from the racer. I mean, that, uh, you know, that was part of the original structure there before it, uh, you know, got refurbished. You had the gravity group come out, uh, you know, last year and couple years ago and, and retrack a big part of the ride. So it's, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, go back to the John Allen days when he was designing and building that ride that, uh, that piece of wood is from. So, uh, you know, if you're a big roller coaster fan, a historian of the industry, I mean, that that's a valuable piece of wood for you. I'm still trying to let it soak in that you're trying to sell us on the piece of wood when there's actually a nano coaster too. <laughs> there's a nano coaster to it, to it all. That's, that's the bonus, you know, you get the nano coaster yeah. and, uh, those things are awesome too. That whole whole line that they do of nano coasters uh, is phenomenal. But uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you know this is cool. It's unique, and uh, you know, it, it's certainly something that uh, if you're a park fan and these opportunities are out there for you to to purchase pieces of rides, especially those with those historical uh, significances, you know, this this is an opportunity you don't want to let slip yeah, by. Yeah, I agree. I assume it's in limited numbers and probably each one's numbered and so on. Yeah, very limited number of these are available. And, uh, you know, you buy one of these and, you know, you bring it up to the park, I'll sign it for you. I'd like it better if John Allen signed it for me. Yeah, it'd have more value <laughs> if it, that was That's the case. true. <laughs> then again, you know, I think that probably to the average I, person, you've got more re name recognition than John Allen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for the <laughs> Nano Coaster, I've only got one. I think that the same company makes the Parkscapes. I'm not certain of that. I have a Parkscape for Kings Island, which I absolutely love. Um, I'm a bigger fan of the uh, coaster cutouts, the little balsa wood things. Those are those love are so them. cool. I've got two and then one I haven't built yet. I've got an Eiffel Tower. I've got a Vortex train. And then I haven't built the Adventure Express train yet. Because I've got a... Uh, 
Yeah, you have your own little museum at your house when you have one of these kind of, you know, the, these little uh, things that are out there with yeah. the cutouts and the nano coasters. And they're always, uh, I mean, but they're just, yeah, like, they're oh. always um, so much bigger than you think, too. Like this, I, I mean, this thing is what, 14 inches tall or so? I think it's mm -hmm. really cool. I actually built this one myself, so it's not done properly. But I had a friend of mine who's an engineer do the uh, the Vortex one. He did a really good job. But I'll probably I usually buy one at the end of the season and make it my off season project, and then not touch it until somebody else builds it. That's what happened with the Vortex one. I thought I'm, I wasn't a huge Vortex fan, but I did um, really like the cutout, and I really like like the design of Aero Trains. So that's why I bought that one. I bought it on New Year's Eve of last year. And that was going to be my off-season project because I was going to build that thing. And I never touched it. And then I had my friend build it. Yeah, I was get, I'm always interested. And I see the part where it says assembly required. And, uh, you know, building things was never my my strong suit growing up. So, uh, you know, puzzles, any of those kind of things, I always struggled with that. So uh, I, I can get in. I guess I could have someone else build it. Yeah, me. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so where are we on? Story four? Yeah. Yeah, moving on. Uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain, they announced that uh, they're going to move away from the uh, 365 operating calendar, go back to a little bit more what they had uh, traditionally done throughout their history, but uh, not every day. And that's going to start taking effect. So they'll still be open those core days, you know, the Thursday through Sundays and that, but uh, not any every day anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, we, you and I were discussing uh, a couple of days ago. You know, I was saying, like, I'm shocked they ever won 365. And you're like, no, I think they've always done it. But I found an article saying, it sounded like it, you know, they had done it. Cause you just thought about that, you know, being out in LA, but then, you know, it's some of the other parks out there that are right. Open, you uh, know, Knott's Berry farm, universal Disney, Disney, they're, they're open every day. Farm, and yeah. That, but, uh, but yeah, but I mean, you, you know, you try it, you find out what works for you, what doesn't. And, uh, you know, uh, I think they can provide a better overall guest experience when it's, uh, you know, especially in these off, you know, peak seasons, you know, the, the, the winter and, you know, it's probably going to be a better experience for the guests that go that it is, uh, you know, not seven days a week and maybe, you know, four days. Yeah. A week. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. So if you're open nine to five, Disneyland universal knots are all around orange County and Anaheim and LA. There are tourists there all the time. Not magic mountain is like a two hour drive with traffic from what I understand. So, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically anywhere going to LA is going to be about two hours. Yeah, but I mean, it's not. Uh, it's not in that tourist area, you know, where those other things are out in Orange County. So it's it's a little bit off the, you know, beaten path a little bit there, like a little bit challenging to get to. Like you talked about, ninety minutes, two hours. So yeah. So my thought and, is, uh, you know, I mean, Disneyland can probably pull in pretty massive crowds on a Tuesday in November or whatever, but. Magic Mountain may have trouble. I mean, I don't have access to their numbers, nor do you, but Magic Mountain may have trouble turning the corner of profitability being open every single day, you know, and, and that's even in a fair weather state, you know, where it's, um, you know, rains very rarely and stuff. Uh, I, I imagine any park. I mean, well, I mean, with the exception of the, the destination parks where people are going to be there no matter what, because that's their vacation, but any normal park probably loses money on a rainy day occasionally. But for them, yeah. I bet it doesn't have to. I bet it's just a random Tuesday. There's just not enough people in that Southern California area at that time to buy a ticket and go in. And those who do maybe season pass with their, you know, 10 meal meal plan thing or whatever they have this week. And it's, um, I, I, I think it's the right decision. I don't think that this will last forever, uh, because you know, nothing lasts forever, but I think that, um, with Six Flags looking to cut costs in certain places and, you know, changing to like a, you know, more of a premium experience as they very transparently said that they want to do. Um, this is probably the right decision for right now uh, until that they can guarantee the revenues coming in, uh, you know, during the week, during the non-peak season. Now, with that being said, I think they're open about 330 days a year, I'd say. You know, it's just a, still a lot of operations. Right. So not a big loss. Um, it would be one thing if they went very seasonal, you know, six months a year or something like the Midwest and stuff, but that's not the case. They're open. They're closed on like Tuesdays and Wednesdays during November and probably during January and February, they'll do the same and probably pick it up in March again. Okay. Yeah. So story number five. 
water parks. So, uh, Disney's Typhoon Lagoon is currently open. Uh, but it is going to go under rehab as, uh, I'm under, under the understanding because, um, I can't remember the name of this park. I'm so sorry. Blizzard, Blizzard Beach. Beach. I kept on wanting to say Castaway Bay. This does not like embezzle the uh, the Blizzard side of it. Um, so Blizzard Beach is, uh, has been closed since uh, pre-pandemic. They closed it at the pandemic and never reopened. Um, so they're going to reopen it, and it's going to um, have some special Frozen attractions. Um, so that's going to be kind of cool. Uh, but anyway, so they haven't officially announced that Typhoon Lagoon is going to be closing but they did announce that, um, you know, this will be reopening here in about a month. Um, and then when that happens, typically during the off season, uh, they open one water park when they close another. So they only have one open during the winter months. So have you been to a Disney water park, Don? I have. I've been to pretty much all of them down in the Orlando area. Uh, love Blizzard Beach. Um lot of fun there my daughter was like five or six the first time we went there and uh you know just a lot of fun now normally you're not thinking water park you know in november you know when everyone says oh it's reopening you know it's exciting uh you know you're not thinking about that at this time of the year in our part of the country but it's still warm enough down there in november to to have that water park experience. yeah I mean, i've never been to a disney water park so that's why i, I kind of lost the name for a second there uh <laughs> yeah I, I think if you're you know if you're planning a, a, a trip down to orlando in you know, November, December, January, uh, you know, certainly add a water park, uh, you know, Blizzard Beach to your to your planning because, uh, you know, it is worth spending. You know, it's not going to be an all day experience. It's going to be, you know, that three, four hours that you spend in a water mm-hmm. park, uh, but certainly worth it. Uh, a lot of great, uh, great attractions, you know, good food that they have at the yeah. water park. Uh, a lot of fun, but it's certainly something that uh, you, you want to do, you know, while you're there, take advantage of it. Yeah, I completely agree. They've always looked really cool. Um my understanding is there's a storyline behind Blizzard Beach in which they built a ski resort because they had an unnatural cold in Florida. And then when it warmed up to the normal temperature, they're like, heck it, let's make a water park out of it. So that's kind of an interesting theory behind it. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a, it's a cool place. And, uh, you know, certainly would recommend experiencing Blizzard Beach if you're going to be down in Orlando, November, December, January time. Awesome. Okay. Finally, the last weekend for thrills and chills. Uh, the Halloween season ends this weekend at uh, you know parks throughout the country. And Ryan, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, did the fall season just fly by? It absolutely did. Um, I can't tell you how quickly. Usually, by the time that um, you know fall, uh, you know fall comes by and stuff, and and you know we get to the end, it's really. Um, I'm like over it. I'm over the Halloween stuff and stuff, but this has gone so quickly that, um, you know, it's just hard to believe, you know, I feel like there's three more weekends of it, but you know, obviously there's not, but you know, it's not as, I used to always think like the Halloween time was depressing, uh, being, you know, growing up around seasonal parks and stuff because not only is it the end of the season, but it's just, it's themed around death. So it's nothing but a reminder that things are coming to an end, you know, and you're going to have the boring, dreary, cold part of the year for a couple months before opening up again. But I don't feel that way anymore because so many parks have the Christmas holidays now that I'm actually kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's over. Time for the next chapter. Um, you know, so... I don't know. I, do you feel the same way now? Or did you ever feel that way? Well, I mean, I always, it was always kind of, like you said, a little, little sad and depressing, you know, when you're a big fan of a park and, uh, you know, that, that time's coming and it, you know, you had another six, seven months before you're going to be able to go again and, and ride your favorite rides. And, uh, you know, you love the Halloween different uh, attractions and seeing a park in a different way. But, uh, you know, now, you know, like you said, you know, okay, you're going to be closed for a couple of weeks and here comes the, 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 you know, the Christmas events, the holiday events. So, um, you know, it's not as, uh, as sad as it was before, but at the same time, you know, there's just, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's kind of become like its own unique thing with these Halloween events. And, you know, you look forward to them every year and, uh, and then they're here and then they're gone. 
Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's true. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've noticed that time really, really flies. And it's not necessarily the whole yeah. the old trope of, you know, I feel like I was 22 yesterday, even though I do. But even like, I feel like I, cl- I you know, I go to work on Monday and the next thing I know, it's like, oh, it's Thursday night now, you know? You know, it just flies and I'm just, I'm getting older and I can't oh, I mean, stop it. I don't know. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it seems to me like, you know, you start that, uh, you know, some Halloween events start, you know, mid-September, some the last week of September. But that part of the season, those five, six, seven weeks fly by faster than any other time of the year for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, it's just unbelievable that, uh, you know, next week we're in November. Yeah. I mean, we're in November. For me, it's... um it, you know, I mentioned, you know, I app is in three weeks and that, that's stressing me out now, you know, as far as it was always, oh, that's three months away. That's four months away. So, you know, it, you know, we're finalizing plans, we're checking equipment, we're, you know, making our connections down there as far as what we exactly want to accomplish and from a business standpoint and, and so on. And it's like, that's three weeks away now, you know, boy, does that creep up on you. And, and I love that the placement of it because I, I mean, really since, uh, you know, I've been attending winter events at parks, um, you know, I've been going to IAPA, so I have that to look forward to, but I imagine that dip for about that month or whatever that a lot of parks have would be kind of depressing too, but I don't really have that because halfway through I've got the ultimate event for theme parks, you know, where everybody's down there and, you know, and then you, you come off that high for a couple weeks as far as like, I just met the guy that, that designed mystic timbers, or I just met the people that made the soundtrack for this ride or, and so on. And we're going to do our best by the way, to introduce all those people to you. Uh, we're going to talk to them and, you know, we'll, we'll be active on Twitter at the time, by the way. So We'll, uh, you know, if there's anybody that's down there that you want to talk to, any company you want us to reach out to or anything, uh, a lot of people will be at our disposal during those three or four days where we can uh, ask them any questions you may have. All right. So, Don. Yeah, those that uh, yeah, those that have not heard of the Attractions Group podcast, before we go to IAPA, everybody's certainly going to be aware of who we are by the time we get done with that week. That sounds so morbid, Don. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so absolutely. Yeah. We do have that coming up. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff, uh, scheduled between now and then, as far as what we're going to do for the podcast, we do, uh, apologize for the delay. I think we did another two weeks without doing a podcast, but, uh, schedules and sickness and stuff like that has gotten between us. We're trying to consistently record on Wednesdays, but that doesn't always happen. So again, apologies one day late this time. Uh, well, no, yeah, well, you know, the one thing, you, you know, you were talking about us, you know, being active and everything on Twitter when we're down there. Our goal during that week is going to be, uh, if you, you know, cannot be at APA, that we've made you feel like you were. Yeah. You know, that's what we're going to try to accomplish while we're there. Uh, so, uh, you know, be sure to, uh, you know, keep checking Twitter and be following us. And uh, if you have friends that are uh, fans of the industry, have them follow us, too, because we certainly want to bring uh, that event to you. Uh, through Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, even if you have a mild interest in the industry, uh, this is something that's going to blow your mind. You know, for somebody that's a big dork like me, and I care about who made the, uh, you know, anti-slip coating on the, on the floor at your local B&M, it's, uh, you know, it's a tooth fairy for me. But for, for the average person where it's just kind of like, oh, that company made all those? Oh, we, the, you know, this is the new train for the new... I mean, it's, it's really neat. So especially, I imagine anybody who listens to this is probably pretty committed to the industry. So by all means, follow us at attractions yeah. underscore GRP, and we're going um, to bring IAPA to you. So... Awesome. So, um, yeah. Any final words, Don? No, another fun episode. Uh, you know, I think we had, uh, you know, pretty good conversation about, uh, uh, you know, the different, uh, premium experiences that parks offer and, uh, you know, looking forward to, uh, some of the guests that we're going to have coming up in the weeks ahead. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, IAP is just around the corner and that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Really excited about that. Uh, Next week, we have a very special episode with a guest. Not going to say who it is because we've had so many guests get moved around and stuff. But uh, make sure that you're looking out for us uh, mid next week for a very special episode. When I say very special episode, I I can't get this out of my head. And I'm just going to say this so it brings us up to an hour because we're at 59 minutes. But there's a... um, 
funny or die series on YouTube that makes funny, makes fun of very special episodes of stuff, uh, from the eighties. And it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty vulgar and stuff. So like whatever, but it's so funny because like everything was so heavy handed back that, but back then, you know, but anyway, very special episode next week, nothing to do with any of that, but we're going to have a special guest hopefully. And if not, we'll continue to bring you the content that we always do. So, uh, Follow us at attractions underscore GRP. Follow us on your favorite uh, podcast app and uh, look for us on YouTube at Attractions Group Podcast. Good night.